This episode contains adult language. Enjoy the network. Welcome to the network. Our attempt at creating a modern podcast version of the Negro Motorist Green Book. If you don't know anything about the Green Book, I invite you to Google it. With each interview, we are building a network of talented professionals that you can reach out and touch. Every episode is an invaluable resource for black people living in and traveling through America. Subscribe to the network. You may need it. You know, people think we're trying to attain peace. And that's sad. We're not trying to attain peace. Like, we're not here for peace. We're here to have bliss and ecstasy and really, like, enjoy, like, live in joy, you know, yes. and in abundance. So it's like if you're struggling just to, just to get by, to maintain something that you don't even want, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> you know? I'd say it quickly, but I don't want you to miss me. I'll say it slower so the people can listen. I'll say it louder for the people in back, the ones not black, the ones that take facts and twist them, ignore stats that skip them. Ain't happened to me, so it must be a myth then. Souls that sold out, that sold us all along. Mad because the soul knows the difference between right and wrong. Because the goal was a song sung in harmony, not arms and armories, stockpiling provisions for all, not importing children stolen from families, taking lives and hanging the fruitful from trees, stinging generations, their pleas falling like bombs mid-mission, exploding in silence from your distance. You survive by blaming the victim. It's inherited, this false narrative. The past cannot be edited to what you swear it is, but the future can. It takes a plan of action, resist, Erase your hatred like a skilled geneticist. Enlist knowledge. Capitalize on the truth. Stop relying on a message that suits your narrative to shoot first, your nature to maintain, your motive to come first, your comfort from others' pain. You don't need a new verse. You need to embrace change. Your prison is inside. Your anguish is our chains. You need to escape the mind that strives to live unchanged. You seek and ye shall find. Everyone is one and the same. Before we, before we uh, get too into it, let me let me drop this other one, and then we can we can start to we can start to talk on it. <laughs> I'm sick of trying to read by your gaslight. These lessons are stressing me. Oppressions in the past, right? So why you keep testing me? Trying to get to work by nine, stop and frisk exam at eight. I live closer to the office but the government mandated not to sell my dad a home behind red lines would have to do. Banks wouldn't give him a loan, but he served his country too. GI bills for every soldier. Well, not the black ones, maybe too. Tired of that cold shoulder, even when we do what you do. You smoke a little weed during your time at Yale? If I ever touched that stuff, I'd probably be under a jail. If I get to the same place, no matter the pace or scale, just know there's a head start sewn into your coattails. In places where slaves once outnumbered the white folks, when they set them free, guess what happened when they'd vote? It started a problem. Things wouldn't be how they'd been. And that's when the Klan robes said, rein all them niggers in. 
The story is documented. It's riddled with common sense. They had lynchings to stop progress, set laws to keep them fenced in, lines in the cotton fields, lines at the rail tracks, lines in the jail yards, rifles still at their backs. And when they say blacks should pull themselves up by their bootstraps, remember how the cities burned every time we did that. You know about Jim Crow, you know about angry mobs, you couldn't hate and live beside us and couldn't stand us making our own jobs. Jim Crow's legacy isn't dead. The laws were not years ago. Civil Rights Act, 1964, still segregated in the 70s though. If you say you people to people, you don't know how to people right. It's time for times to change, teach wrong to the alt-right. What kind of a terrorist murders people by crosslight and teaches their grandsons to carry the torch, right? There's light in the darkness, but so much darkness in that light. If you teach evil, you're evil. All human beings are equal. All human beings deserve rights, deserve life. Uh, Network family, I am so pleased and honored to bring to you a member of my family. I've told y'all before, I put my family on. In the words of a great modern day poet, live from Bedford Stuyvesant, I bring you my cousin, Kobe Bowles. Kobe, how you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? I'm awesome. Let's start. Let's, let's go back. We're going to make a full circle here. But let's go back. Tell us where you grew up, what your childhood was like. Just kind of start taking us through your journey from where you began to where you are now and where you're going. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it, it'll, it'll come out clearly simply because I've spent, you know, the last several years really trying to unwrap the journey mm -hmm. <laughs> and understand yeah. it. Um, and in the face of where we are now, like, with the struggle, with the culture, with the country, um, I've, it's almost like I've gone from one side to the other. My experience as a young kid, I was born in New Jersey. Uh, my parents had moved from the South, you know, they're Southerners. My dad from Florida, my mom from Louisiana. They lived through the movement, you know. Dr. King spoke at my dad's commencement from Tuskegee. My mom actually went to jail when her school was getting integrated and she graduated. I didn't know the story until I was in my 30s, but my mom, you know, and a bunch of kids were protesting because it was just like Remember the Titans. You know, the school's integrated. They let the football players play, but the cheerleaders, the pep squad, all that stuff, they weren't letting kids participate. And so, you know, this is the kind of thing that these unspoken kind of stories that people think it's like, oh, this stuff is so long ago. And it's like, no, this was our parents. The best. You tell <laughs> a story, you know, about your mom, you know, being yeah. arrested. I, I've, I've never heard that story. I do know your mom was very instrumental. And for our listeners, uh, Kobe's mom and my dad are brother and sister. His mom is, is my dad's older sister. So Uncle Tad went to Paul Bro. Yeah. Which was the black high school. He's a year older than my dad. And my dad went to Northside because yep. your mom told our grandmother that that's where he needed to go to school. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny thing because I benefited from that, um, that spirit, but also wasn't bombarded in a way um, or necessarily always informed in a way that would have helped me. 
Uh, but I guess we can go into that more. So yeah. really diverse New Jersey. Um, but then we moved in 1989. And my dad had been working in New York City for ITT, which was like the IBM or the Microsoft at the time. Um, and he just, he just needed out. And so he took a big swing or leap, as it were, and we moved to Colorado, Denver. And that was a totally different experience. Um, went from very diverse to not at all diverse in a lot of ways. But for me, as a nine-year-old, um, the contrast wasn't there yet. You know, it's like for me, as you know, I'm a little boy, I'm a fourth grader, like we moved from small house to a big house with a pool, you yeah. know, like I'm yeah. hanging out with the kids in the neighborhood, playing night games and riding bikes, like, and luckily too, just really, it was, I say luck because I mean, it was, I was fortunate. Um, I say it this way, I was more popular than racism. Like the kids around me in my class, um, yeah. you know, there weren't there weren't enough of them. And it's funny because I think my family, my immediate family thought I was naive as a young kid, but also I'm in this overwhelming minority now. So you're saying you probably shouldn't date 95% of the people around you. Um, and it yeah. sort of changed, it sort of messed with my development a little bit in as much as I was a very outgoing kid, but didn't get to develop that sort of romantic uh, part of life in a fluid way. Cause it was just like, I couldn't just hang out at whoever's house or, you know, be with, you know, do projects and stuff with girls. It was like, you know, who's going to be there. I don't want you to go to this girl's house or whatever. Like it was okay. Like it didn't traumatize me overwhelmingly, but it did set a course for me in a way. Um, Cause by the time I got to college, I hadn't really gotten to just evolve that and date and, you know, have reasons why you like girls and just let that be a thing and grow. Right. You know, it's right. like middle school. It's like you like this girl because she's cute or that girl plays basketball or whatever. And you get to explore that and get to know people better. Um, I didn't really have that. So when I got to college, it was like I dated the first girl who made it known she was into me. <laughs> who happened yeah. to be like, you know, who happened to be like um, of a different religion and a different race. And um, the girl I dated after her, who I very much thought I was going to marry at that time, was like half German, half Filipino. You know, this rich Chicago city girl. Um, and so it was like, that was more organic, but it was like, I got to college with an agenda that I would not have had, I think, had I not had that pressure. Um, yeah. But because I had the benefit of hindsight, what I also learned was it was good for me in a way that, like I said, I wasn't overwhelmed with the idea that I had to be, at least within my heart, that I had to be something to anyone in particular I was feeling that from my family, but like I was so well received as a kid um, mm -hmm. by my environment uh, that I think my heart would be different. Like if we hadn't grown up in a place where, or we, I'd been exposed to more racism or more people, I think my heart would be different. It wouldn't have been as open. I wouldn't have been able to look at and have as much empathy. Cause I've straight up, I've, I've cut some friends out of my life in the past three and five years because um, kids from Denver get a different news cycle, you know, um, like Obama was on Letterman's most recent show and it, having his one-on-one -on -one interview. And he said, you know, partisan news is such a prevalent thing that now if you are somebody who might watch Fox versus MSNBC, it's like you literally live on different planets. Yeah, I like agree. Can't, I mean, the last few years, as I said, I've lost friends because it was just too much. It was like, I shouldn't have to explain to you how to have empathy 
or be a decent person. It's like, if you think you're my friend, but you, you keep telling me, oh, I can't possibly understand and stuff like, you know, the first thing was Obama. Like I have a friend who we were like besties in high school, but like he went into the military after he graduated college. Um, and suddenly it was like, not just him, but his dad, when that was when Obama became president, suddenly it's like Obama this, Obama that from his father on like Facebook. And his dad was a math teacher at our high school. You know, he treated me like, you know, I was his son's best friend. He treated me like family. So, but so all of a sudden now it's like however many years later, and it's like Obama this, all caps. And at first I, I didn't notice it, but then it was like my friend at the time, he was starting to have like, he'd post jokes or people, you know, re repost things. And I'm like, that's not political, that's racist. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. the growing up, you know, I'm listening to you talk about your childhood. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember always wondering uh, what it was like in, in South Orange, New Jersey. Yeah. You know, or wondering what it was like in Denver and just listening to you, you know, have the diverse background, you know, the diverse friends and then uh, Denver. So growing up in Lafayette, you know, it's pretty, it's black and white. And yeah. then they're like, uh, like literally like a handful of Asian people. And the thought I had yesterday was um, like, I'm 42, I'll be 43 yeah. next month. And my diversity experiences in, in my 42 years of life have been very limited, you know, and I, I want that diverse experience. And then at the same time with my South Louisiana background, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I want this diverse background, but I don't want it tainted by we're going to be diverse and dictated to by the majority. You, you know what I mean? So, I, you know, but it, it's great. I think, you know, just from my background, I think that's great. Yeah. You know, and then having raised kids because I live in a neighborhood that is nothing like the neighborhood I grew up in. You know, so I grew up in on the north side of Lafayette, um, and then I was bused across town to Lafayette High, freshman orientation. I'd never seen that many white people in my life, but I still only hung out with a small group. You know, I you know I was talked to white people. It was fine. You know, we, we were okay. We never had any issues. But my core group was still a, a group of black people. And then I went to an HBCU for undergrad, and then I went to another HBCU for my graduate experience. And then now I live here in Texas, out in the suburbs. Yeah. And I actually work now at the school that my kids went to. And I'm having to make an adjustment because the school I was working in looked like where I grew up. Yeah. You know, it looked a lot like a school that I went to growing up, the neighborhood I grew up. Um, and now I'm in a school that looks more like my freshman orientation. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, so raising, raising my kids, I'm looking now like, oh, okay, there weren't a lot of black kids here where they went to school. I know their friends were black because they came to the house and things like that, but yeah. there, there weren't that many of them. So it was incredibly, it has been incredibly difficult to raise them to know that at some point in your life, you're probably going to experience some racism. Yeah. 
but I don't want to taint you at the same time. That, that has been one of the most difficult challenges of parenting. My perspective as a kid who was in those two different environments, which is still my perspective now, is that people really do just simply need to live and understand and have relationships with one another. I'm just sick of hearing I'll never understand about some of these things because it's really not that difficult. 15 year old girl pinned on the ground in a bathing suit by a police officer who hasn't really done anything. Pretend she's white. Imagine she's your cousin or your niece or the girl next door, 15 year old girl in a bathing suit. It shouldn't be that difficult. It's not. I, yeah. I, tell, tell me your thoughts on this. I vacillate, I go back and forth between, let me just address you in a common sense manner versus I shouldn't have to teach you this. Yeah. You know, I, I go back and forth. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? So there's a bunch of layers to it now, which is what has kind of brought me into at least some of my strategies for what I may or may not do with the coaching. Mm -hmm. um, because it really becomes, you have, everyone as an individual has to protect their energy. Um, and I was talking about this with some of my cousins on my dad's side, because they have a Zoom every couple weeks. But we were talking about different people and I was saying, hey, some people, their intentions are good, they don't mean you harm, and they legit don't understand and they want to. Those people, even though it's not your job to handhold them and do the work for them, it's important to, to recognize that in the act of abolition, slaves didn't free themselves. It took a lot of well-meaning white folks, right? Right. Had that heart and that sensibility or were open to learn and to assist and help that movement happen. Uh, and in that same spirit, it's like, you will come across people that just don't know, right? Like it's not, right. well, I mean, you're an educator, like right. the school system, we didn't learn actual history. You know, we didn't learn that this, this country was formed right. under this veil of freedom by people who then enslaved and massacred and, had, and, and enacted genocide against people that already lived here and against people that would help build this place. We don't, yeah. They don't teach yeah. us that. So it's like we live in a nation literally founded on genocide that has not yet agreed in mass whether or not its, its genesis was wrong right so it's not it's not anybody's fault today if they if people who are not white supremacists themselves or mm -hmm. not racist themselves it's not their fault that we've arrived where we are however it is their responsibility to understand their place in it to acknowledge to learn and so in that way every individual it's nobody's fault but it, you have a responsibility so i look at some people where it's like okay where is this person coming from? Some folks are so far off the veil. Like I, this guy, I was working on set one day on this TV show and this guy was from Israel. Um, I couldn't figure out at first where he was from because his accent, I couldn't place it at all. Um, but, you know, it was just the two of us uh, working this one particular part of a scene. So we're in wardrobe, just the two of us, we sign in together. But almost right off the bat, he comes at he comes at me with some like, yeah, yeah, like uh, it's very interesting to me how like African Americans are so often obese and da da da. And I'm like, what? 
<laughs> it was just straight up like first of all i don't even know you dude and second wow. like don't you think you're talking to like an african-american maybe the first thing you say to me isn't oh yeah it's really interesting to me how all of you are just fucking fat but the other thing is right now everybody's walking around with a supercomputer in their hand right very rarely are they using it to actually what it was supposed to be for to call people it's you know they're it's for instagram and facebook and all such stuff so it's like look you gotta you're responsible so you do your homework i don't mind steering you to some stuff if you want to know and you're in earnest you're asking Mm -hmm. um but that's also that's my heart like my superpower is love right like i'm super wide open however everybody doesn't get it (laughs) everybody doesn't get it all the time or even some of the time so to put the burden of understanding and catching up to our issues as a race, for example, or our issues historically for someone that doesn't have any of that. Um, it's not completely in earnest, right? Like there's a spirit of forgiveness. A lot of us learn in the church or in our philosophies, there's a spirit of love, but at the same time, it's just this, the human condition is not one of understanding everyone. It's one of, you know, your mind is this super processor that was supposed to keep you alive that's back there running nonstop. And it's about your experience. It's not about everybody else's experience. So it's not this thing in earnest to say like, why don't they understand? It should be, they should, right? But should is a tough word because it's just, it's not how we are. Like it's, it's kind of the paradox and the, the sadness of the human condition when we don't live with enlightenment is, it's more about that reductive, the small, the immediate and the past of your own thing. It's not about looking out and forward into other people and understanding them. And it's, it's unfortunate because it is this thing of how are we different? Like you look at someone and you have already the, the supercomputer in the back of your, you know, the subconscious has already ascertained all this different stuff and thought all this different stuff. Enjoying this episode so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Radio Public, or Pocket Casts. Now back to the show. So you grew up in New Jersey. You moved to Colorado. You end up at one of the premier universities in America at Johns Hopkins. Okay, so... I'm listening to you talk about the brain. So I know you went there to study neuroscience. Talk about John Hopkins a little bit. What was your experience like there? It was, um, it was a mess, if I'm being honest. It was a mess. Okay. Um, but it was the whole thing of like, I was supposedly, in quotes, the smart one. I was supposed to be the family doctor. So I went to Johns Hopkins thinking, yeah, I'm going to study neuroscience. In 1997, when I graduated high school, Neuroscience was only a major at like four schools, three or four schools, MIT, Hopkins, uh, one, I think Boston, maybe BU and NYU were the ones I knew about. Um, and even then, totally unaware because MIT seemed like, oh, that's nerd college. I don't want to go there. They actually advertised as nerd college. But the thing is, MIT's in Boston. There were like 70 schools in that area. Yeah. So no matter how nerdy campus was, I could have wandered off and done whatever. But here also was this kid who had not dated at that point in my life. So I was thirsty. Like I wanted to go out and meet girls. Like that was an agenda, you know, Uh, full full disclosure. Like 
I'm but that's real. Boy, I mean, yeah. that's real for an 18-year-old. Exactly. So, as you know, as, as the king would say, I wanted to sow my royal oats. Like, I, it is. I wanted to get out there. So, when I ended up at Johns Hopkins, it was, I was very much the result of, a, of that situation of, like, I hadn't been able to date. Um, I wanted to just kind of do my own thing. And Baltimore, actually, um, I wanted to get back east. Um, being from Jersey and like missing that. And also like our child, my childhood in Jersey was very different in a way from my childhood in Denver family wise. Um, so psychologically for me, it's like, I always kind of wanted to be back East cause that's where we'd been happy. So for me, like that was the echo of like, this is where happiness happens. Yeah. Or go back to your happy place. You, so you mentioned acting is, has become a release for you. So we go from New Jersey to Colorado to Baltimore. Now you're in New York. Now you're in New York and you're, you have an acting career there. When did you get to New York? What have you been doing there? Kind of, you know, take us, take us through this part of your journey. So given all the stuff we we're just talking about, <laughs> hopefully that's a preface that's clear enough to say, like, I spent a lot of time after I started to kind of, get get out of that mode I was in before to heal mm -hmm. and build self-actualize. So my senior year, actually, we had a guy come teach at Hopkins acting for the first time. Um, okay. That guy was John Aston. John Aston was the original Gomez Adams, the Adams family. Okay. Uh, he was in West Side Story, like the movie version. He's like the host at, like, at the dance. John Aston gave me all the confidence in the world. Like we auditioned for him in the fall. He taught me in the spring and he was the first, the first kind of acting legend because he kind of is that to say to me, like, you have all the talent that you need. You're just going to have to work to have a career. And it's like, yeah. part of me, part of me understood it because I stayed after it, mm -hmm. but I couldn't fully receive it. Um, couldn't fully receive that. Uh, to, was, it, was it, was this an example of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear? Um, I think so. Kind of like the beginning, like, like a doorway into that? Kind of, but I think it's what, I, what I've been hammering away at and makes me think I, to articulate it more, it was um, you really have to have clarity to have a self-love and to understand that most people are afraid. They're not afraid of failure. They're afraid of success if they haven't been modeled that tremendously. Mm -hmm. um, so someone telling you, and this is something my acting teacher in class said to me just a few days ago, is like, he's like, I'm hard on you because you are a Michael Jordan caliber player. He's like, I'm not gonna, you know, I can't, I can't treat you like some guy who's going to be in commercials in the background, like, you know, yeah. and so I got to pull all of that. It's in yeah. there. I see it. I got to pull it out of you. Yeah. He's like, I got to Phil Jackson. You we're trying to win championships. It's not, you know, and, um, it was a thing of, you know, he was, you know, John Aston was the first and I, you know, I was depressed. I was, I was like happy at that time, but surface happy. I mean, there was so many deep kind mm -hmm. of miscommunications and wounds to heal um, that hadn't even begun yet. So for someone to tell you, you're going to be great. Like, it sounds awesome. And even when you're going through the motions, like I could think it like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be great, yeah. but it's totally different than the doing. It's in How long did it take you to believe that? How long did uh, it take? How many times did you have to hear it before uh, you started to believe it? 
or do you believe it now? Yeah, so that's, that's the question, right? Um, after John Aston, my next great teacher was Ed Sharon. Ed Sharon was um, the director who directed James Earl Jones in The Great White Hope before okay. James Earl Jones was famous. So Ed, and I was still working my corporate job. So when I moved here to, to, to make this capsule short, I was auditioning for Broadway musicals right away, had some good callbacks and was doing temp work um, and bartending. But then like that is still stressful, like with bartending and the temp stuff and New York is super expensive. And I was dating, you know, and then I had a girlfriend and whatever. So I got really tired of struggling to have the money and ended up sliding into like full-time desk work. Um, yeah. And so, but I was still taking class. <laughs> so I was like, I was saying I was an actor, but 50 hours of the week, I was definitely not doing any kind of acting. Um, and so I ended up, you know, I ended up in scene study with Ed Sharon. And this is a man who like, could say to me after other teachers had said, you're like a young James Earl Jones, he would know. <laughs> Cause he launched the young James Earl Jones career or helped him yeah. to launch. So he was telling me, you need to quit your job. You know, he's like, you got to leave the bank. He would always say, well, you got to quit the bank, but this is what we're trying to get out of you. Um, and so what it really took was these last few years straight up, it took me understanding like what's been modeled to me. What are my blocks? That level of success or self-belief or whatever, it wasn't modeled to me. Plus, when I was a really young kid and I was always doing the most, like straight A student, you know, Santa Claus in the play or whatever, like the Tin Man and, you know, the Wizard of Oz, like I was always doing the most without trying. Like, that's just a kid I was, you know, I, sh you know, I should have been for all intents and purposes, like, and I, and I was really still a very high achieving kid but I didn't have the understanding of my own psychology around success, around shining, around being outstanding. Um, and so when you don't know that that's, about, you know, that's there, you're not gonna be your best self. You're not even gonna be your authentic self. And that's right. the place where I find so many of us right now, that's the place where I find the country. That's the place where I find like a purpose that I can serve is understanding like, it's not your fault. So many people don't know what they're up against. For me, the first benchmark of that was depression. It was like, I'd been watching the news, right? And it was uh, George Floyd and um, something else. I can't even keep tabs anymore. It's just like every week something is something new, even though you would think there was, that was it. You know? When this stuff was happening, I realized one day I'd been really productive. And then I realized over four or five days, I haven't been doing much. Like, I just been kind of milling about and watching TV and like, I didn't realize I was depressed. And in some cases, it's like for black people in general, for us, we've been patternized into this that like, when we see somebody murdered, that's like a family member. It's someone yeah. we relate to. It's one of us. It's not, you know, it's not some other. It's, it's a person. And it, it hurts us deeply. And it's echoed and it's, it's compounded in all the other hurts. And the fact that we're in the status quo that seemingly is endless. So I didn't understand that like, yeah, this is a thing that affects me very deeply and it keeps happening all the time. That is a blind spot. The fact like the actual physical effects of it is a blind spot. And on top of that is the generational and inherited trauma of not just things within civil rights, but just things in your family. 
Yes. You know, just simple stuff. Like I, people don't make those connections, but now as I've been digging into stuff, it looks more like math to me now because yeah. it's everything in, in the human experience is repetition. Um, so I look back and like, I actually was talking to your mom about this. Your dad stepped away when, when we were having our visit. Your dad stepped away and I actually wanted to see what she thought before I said it, I think to your father, mm-hmm. but I hadn't really realized it because nobody talked about it. Like our grandfather died when he was about our age. Yeah. And, and in that immediate family, I felt like, and I say this with reverence, but like, I felt like there was kind of a checkout happening for the men on our family on that side around that age. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it was just like, in, in that frame of mind I was in, in that place of understanding, I was like, damn, this feels super clear to me right now. And it's, it's something where it's like, if your father no longer exists in your life, you've only been modeled how to be to that age. Like you've only been able to read the pamphlet to that particular date. And then after that, the learning, you know, the learning literature falls off. If nobody's teaching you these things, like on a psychological level, if you don't understand that that's back there, it's like, yeah, I don't know how to exist after 40 years old or 42. I don't know what a father's supposed to look like. I don't know what a man's supposed to look like. Listen, that is real. Bring it all the way back to, you know, all of these traumas that we don't realize happen, you know, yeah. you mentioned my dad, he met my dad, like your mom had some experience with him. My dad never saw the man, never met the man. Yeah. So I, you know, my brother and I often talk about, you know, who were his examples, you know, and then my dad had his own rough patch. So as I'm growing and coming up, um, success i had issues with success yeah like i know i know i want to be successful but but i also know that um is it a good thing to bring all of that attention to myself you know i I, you know i don't know if that's a good thing um and then there are also things that I, i i don't know because my parents just didn't tell me you know and that's a real thing amongst our families amongst families in the black community there are yeah. certain conversations that we don't have um, that we need to have because we need to heal. I know this is not a long answer because I'm looking at your questionnaire, but what keeps you up at night, if anything? Um, <laughs> bad habits. <laughs> okay. I mean, the okay. answer really, like, that's the real answer because I know that the, the, the the spirit of the question is what really has me most concerned, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, but for me right now, yeah, I am. Um, it's not that it keeps me up at night, but what I'm focused on is how to affect this change and take the knowledge that I've accumulated through my own experience and usher and support other people in, in coming to it. Because this time, I mean, I've, you know, being an actor has, has, has made it more accessible because I've done that, because I've been doing that work. Mm-hmm. But finding that I could be angry and that I am angry at times. Um, and the full expression of that can come out in a scene, for example, for me. Um, but sometimes for other people, it's like, you gotta, you know, take that to the gym. It's like someone, you know, some speaker says, uh, you know, it's important to figure out what got you 
you know, like, or where you came from or like figure out where you are, but then don't stay there. You know, so it's like figuring out, yeah, how do I feel right now? But then I got to do something with that. I always like the, the phrase, pray and move your feet. Yes. And it's, it's taken on a new meaning for me because it's like intention without action or hope without a plan, without action, yields no results. That's right. So it's like if you want change, you want things to happen, it's like you pray, like you ask, you set an intention, you figure out, but then move your feet. Get off your butt. You know, like even if it's just to talk to someone, have a conversation to strategize or not, like or to vent, but then move on to the next thing. Um, but yeah, for me, that's the thing for sure, because uh, I realized like I couldn't, you can't, you can't heal people who don't want that from you or not seeking it necessarily. Yeah. But, but there are yes. people that, you know, they, they won't have the same circumstances that I have with some folks around me. So I can heal those folks um, or help them. So that's been like the thing lately is just figuring out, you know, what that's going to look like soon. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. All right. So now let's talk about um, recommended reads or books. Is there anything that you're reading right now or have read that you recommend? I'm rereading a book called Finding Clarity. Um, it's by this man who passed away. He was uh, a coach. Um, and it's very much about uh, just the finer points of living a, a realized life. It's a short book, but it's something that takes a long time to digest. It's almost like on a cosmic yeah. level, like everybody who picks it up, like I didn't read it for months at all. And then it was like, even when I started the first time, it took me forever to get through it because you're undoing so much as you're reading it, I think. Yeah. Like the Very mind challenging that, read. Yeah. The, the mind that doesn't want to change doesn't want you to read that book. <laughs> okay. So where the resistance to me comes from. Um, that's a big one. One that I like that a lot of people, um, I think just in general, should get to is called the four agreements by what is it don miguel ruiz is that his name yes. yes okay i have i have read that one i read it a couple of times it's time for me to read it again yeah i was gonna say exactly i bought that for my mom and the first time she read it she didn't realize i wanted it for her to read it as though it was about her <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I too have read it probably four, three or four times and i need to read it again um, because it is, it's like keeping sharp because the words, you know, I think the, the most, the most uh, beneficial use of words is to define their futility. Like I think, you know, words are, they have the power to create and destroy as the book says, but for me, it's like words immediately activate the mind. The mind doesn't want to change. It's like your heart knows the truth. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting thing of like, People talk about a lot of a lot of Christians have this I, this image of an angel on your on one shoulder and a demon on the other, and it's like well they're both angels, they just have oh, a different yeah. skin. Um, That's good stuff. But what I've come to lately is the the negative the demon is actually the mind, and the good angel is your heart, and the heart speaks the truth, and the mind that other that other bad angel as we we say bad angel is trying to keep you where you're at or, or descent into the easier, quicker, lesser thing. And so it's like, we don't have that habit of looking into the heart. So I think for some people just reframing how we speak to ourselves and to other people 
goes a long way. Like that whole thing about supporting each other, um, mm -hmm. it goes a long way, like how you speak and then how you really listen. So that's why that book for me is like always a reread because it's a good reminder, you know, we're human and we slip and it's good to go back. Um, yeah. People, people need to, to understand that, in my opinion, that we're human and we slip. Yeah. You know, so because everybody deserves grace. Yeah. And mercy. You know, every everybody deserves it. You know, we we mess up. You know, we can be this and we can mess up and end up being that. And both of those things can be true, but it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Anything else you're reading? Yeah. Um there's a book called It Didn't Start With You. This guy, um, Mark Wallen. And that was the thing that really tapped me for the first time into my, the inherited trauma. And it's not, um, it's interesting because none of this stuff comes through the guise of race. Like it's very much universal for the human experience. Um, mm -hmm. But it really helped me. And he talks about some of the science of it too. It helped me um, to get, start to get a grip on the stuff, you know, we're talking about. Because some of the stories are wild. It made me realize like this guy, you know, he was trying to go to the East and learn from like, you know, different mystics and monks and stuff. And he finally goes to probably the two most difficult guys in the world or on the planet to see, and they both just tell him, go home and make peace with your parents. Cause he was going blind and medical science couldn't figure out why. And so he, he did that. He healed his relationships with his parents and he regained his sight and doctors still couldn't tell him how, you know? Wow. And so like reading that, and that was just the preface of the book basically <laughs> was wow. him telling his story. Wow. So, yeah. So that helped me get back into that. Um, it's interesting, though, like, it just reminds me what you were saying before. It's like this idea that we're human and we slip and it's like people are so quick to hold everyone else to the fire. But not ourselves. Right. And it's, it's a hard thing for me, like the institutions, because so many people say, oh, I'm Christian and I'm this and I'm that. And it's like, OK, but are you forgiving the people that wronged you? And when you do wrong, are you asking them forgiveness? Like, don't just talk to the Lord. Like you wronged a man, <laughs> you know, right. your father or your friend or your coworker or whatever. Like this very thing of like, yes, there is salvation. And it's like, wherever you seek it in earnest, it's there for you. But we're here on earth, like together. And it's right. not an accident. <laughs> That's so, right. It's that very thing. It's the same quality of like how you do everything that for me, it's like just eliminating all the hypocrisy and also having the courage then um, to speak your truth. That's something I'm coming into, which is why some of this has been so transformational. It's like, for me, it's not okay. It's like, if I have something that I think could help somebody, it's like, I don't care what the story is they're telling about me. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, it's like, hey, at least I'm not gonna go to my grave saying I didn't try and earnestly like approach it, you know, and try to help that person. Um, so yeah, th those, but those three books like were very instrumental in the place that I am right now. I think uh, my general kind of view of, of how, I how I interact with people. Okay, all good, all good recommendations. One of those I can definitely vouch for because I've read myself. Um, it didn't start with you. It's definitely going into my on deck circle. Yeah, I got to get around to that one. I'm really just all of these books that are being recommended. Um, 
in these conversations. Um, a lot of them are, are in my in my on deck circle. So yeah. I know you're not much of a, a music guy, right? You're not listening to anything right now, nothing really to recommend. So let me ask you this. Wake up in the morning, you gotta get going, wanna get the blood pumping, maybe you're getting ready to get out and go for a ride or something. What song pumps you up and gets you going? <laughs> you know it's funny? As a kid who grew up in the Midwest, like I'm no music expert, but it's true like, I'm constantly cultivate, cultivating like Spotify lists. Okay. Um, and I, I have to look at it because I wouldn't even know, like I'm going to, I'm going to pull up on my phone, my run list. Okay. Okay. Just it's like, this is literally the only way I'm going to be able to say like this song, this song, cause it's ridiculous. Right. Like I, um, you're going to laugh and this is, it's, it's embarrassing, but it isn't cause it's, it's just music. Like, no idea is original. Like it's all borrowed from the same consciousness. So always, this is the first part of this. Some of these you'll know. Um, so like I got green light by Lord is the first okay. song. And that's like my, I'm tying my shoes. I'm getting ready to go out the door. And then there's a song called church by Coldplay. Um, okay. I think I've heard that before. I think I've heard and, that one. And then the next song is like an instrumental. It's from the movie, the Martian. So it's like making water. A lot of the stuff I listen to is actually movie soundtracks. Like, like when I'm lifting, I listen to like Tupac, but then like, you know, the Avengers theme or something like it's intermixed with that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, okay. It's like kind of a beat song, like paddling out by Mike Snow. Um, a song called carry me by Bombay cycle clubs. Another upbeat one, like whip it by Devo. I know you've heard that. Yeah. 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 Um, Get some by Likey Lee. Uh, Barry Friend, Billie Eilish, Applause, uh, Lady Gaga. Like these are very much songs that Karen's listened to at the gym. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm I'm gonna be real with you, man. I'm a Billie Eilish fan. She's great. I'm yeah. a Billie Eilish fan. Um, I think my favorite track by her is I think it's called "You Should See Me with the Crown." Yes, or that's Crown, actually something like that. One yeah, I'm like one by one. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, this jams, I like that. Okay, okay, cool. All right. So I know you're gonna start listening to Michelle Obama's podcast soon. Uh, yep. um, what are some of the motivational videos? Uh, give us, give us two, two videos that you watch on YouTube that you want to recommend to our listeners. Um, it's tough without a link because I think I started out. I don't know how I first started even searching for them. And YouTube, you know, once you're in the algorithm, it just will spit stuff out. Or if you follow lists, it'll just whoever, whatever posts. Yeah, um, it'll take you down a rabbit hole real quick. Yeah. Uh, but there is one particular one, and maybe I'll send you the link for it. Okay. Because I listen to it, like, over and over. Um, but it's narrated by Brian Cranston. Um, the channel is, let me see. The channel is Video Advice. Okay. So that's what I'm subscribed to. But um, yeah, there's just one 10 minute video. It's narrated by Brian Cranston and you hear like, you hear like Steve Harvey and he's saying like, you know, put the car you want on the, you know, put the weight you want to be on the refrigerator. Put a picture of the car you want in the mirror. If you could see it in your heart, you can hold it in your hand. Like, yeah. you know, and then it's like um, Connor, like McGregor or whatever, like the fighter. And he's like, every day I was daydreaming, you know, and it's like, if you, if you got an idea in your head, 
and you got the courage enough to speak it, it'll happen. It's like little clips of them interspersed. Yeah. But Brian Cranston, it starts out in the narration. It's something like all this stuff is very synergistic with all the stuff I'm learning. So like my life coach will say it and then I'll hear it in a video. It's like, but he starts out and he says, like what Michelle says often is, you know, we are something not perceivable and inconceivable. Like, sure, you know, and this is something I talked about in, in, you know, my, and will be part of my lessons is like, you know, we're vibration. Like we seem solid, but when you look at your hand or the mm -hmm. table or whatever, that's just billions of particles floating around close to one another at different speeds. So vibration permeates through all of that. So things that seem solid, it's less vibration. Sound bounces off, but some still get through. Like, so we're not, we're not what we think we are. Like we're not contained within the mind. It's like, you know, when people say like some, some cultures, some religions, you know, they don't define God because, or like the Tao. It's like, the, because the Tao that can't be, that can be named is not the Tao. Like I love mm -hmm. that phrase because it just says like, we're so much more, you know? And the idea that like, if, if you want to, if you want to take from the Bible that, yeah, we are given a power of God or we're made in the image of God. It's like God as creator. Like nothing around you in your life any day of the week is something that didn't first exist as a thought and someone's vision, you know, a sneaker, a straw, the light I'm looking at, my laptop, like the stickers on my laptop, everything was, it's all creation. And so we walk around with this false idea that we can't do anything, literally. And, but look at like airplanes for one. It's like the Wright brothers were dudes that like to ride bikes. <laughs> Yeah. So a hundred years later, like you can go from one continent to the other in an hour, like forget it, you know? Yeah. So this one, yeah, he starts out talking about how it's like, um, he says something like, you know, you, you are God's greatest creation. You know, you are the most magnificent creature, you know, to behold, but you do not know who you really are. And you think you are a great deal less. And it's like, I just listen. I listen to this one every couple of days. Like, I listen to it all the time. It's only, it's like 10 minutes, so it's good. Man, listen, I, I, I'm, first, let me say, I'm, I'm excited for you. Oh, thank you. I, I'm excited for you. Um, I can't wait for that, um, that thing that you share with James Earl Jones to be pulled out of you. Um, I, I'm, I'm so excited for you. So excited for you. All right, we're going to move to rapid fire. We're going to do three rounds of rapid fire, okay? okay. Real simple. I'm going to ask you, basically, it's kind of like some either-or questions. <laughs> um, we're going to do three, three rounds, and then the last question I'm going to ask you, I ask most of our guests, and we'll get to that at the, round th at the end of round three. All right, so rapid fire. You ready? Sure, always. Okay. Favorite holiday. Mm. <laughs> supposed to be rapid but i don't um, oh ooh, i guess christmas okay talking or texting talking at what age do you want to retire never okay invisibility or super strength super strength is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Okay. Ding, ding. That's the end of round one. 
Unless okay, there's high go. fructose corn syrup in them. Say it again. Unless there's high fructose corn syrup in them. Ah, stay away from the high fructose oh, corn syrup. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Round two. You ready? Yes. Dawn or dusk? Dawn. Used to be dusk. <laughs> okay. Cake or pie? Both, please. <laughs> oh, good answer. Place you want most to travel to? I think my mom and dad want to go to Africa, so I want to take them there next year. Okay, okay. We might Favorite just seat. It, but I think that my mom said that she wants to go there, so. Okay, okay. Favorite season? Fall, now. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at keeping secrets? <laughs> oh man um if they're not my own it's 10 <laughs> okay all right good ding ding that's the end of round two all right round three round three here we go say a word in spanish espanol favorite number 13 who has it easier men or women men why can't we tickle ourselves? We can. Okay. Last question. If you could have a superpower, any superpower, what would it be and why? I would have the ability to change people's thoughts for the better. Okay. That was rapid fire. Good job. That was fun. That was fun. That was fun. So last segment right here. Okay. All right, and this one I know is going to be good. This last segment is called You Didn't Ask. This is where you have the opportunity to share unsolicited advice. So what would you like to share for this segment titled You Didn't Ask? You Didn't Ask. All right. You didn't ask, but come on. Like, stop honoring your excuses over the things that you actually want. Stop believing that you're using a different amount of energy to keep doing the thing that makes you unhappy than you'd be using to do the thing that makes you happy. Um, I had this conversation with a friend of mine and it, it, it frustrates me to no end because it's simply a paradigm that culturally we support. Like let's say, let's say weight for example. Like there's a culture now of the word acceptance, right? Like you should accept how you are and accept you're, you're in a big body or whatever. And it's like, listen, somebody like Tammy Duckworth, who got her legs blown off fighting in a war. I'm a pacifist. And I think war is wrong. That's a whole other situation. But she, she did what she, what she believed was honorable. She served. She has no legs. Tammy Duckworth has to accept that she has no legs. A person who's 20, 30 pounds, 60, 100 pounds overweight doesn't have to accept that they're overweight. You have to perhaps accept that that's where you have been. But if you really break it down, the energy to carry that extra weight around is not different than the energy it would take to lose it. The time you spend struggling finding clothes or deciding what you're going to wear and not feeling good about it, 
and you know looking to you know find support for this body that's not necessarily healthy for you is not time you could not spend strategizing and figuring out how to change your situation and we get in the way of ourselves we get in the way of each other by supporting excuses and it doesn't mean it's not hard but listen is it hard to you know hop on a treadmill for 25 minutes a day is that harder than like carrying around an extra 60 pounds of weight it's not it's not and the thing is like the messaging around it yes we've given we've been giving these terrible messages and probably like your parents make you feel shitty or someone you know other kids when you're growing up and it's this thing of a switch that needs to turn for people it's like stop honoring your limitations and honor your dreams and your hopes man because this has been awesome thank you very much for man for really for pouring your heart out you know and for sharing um man all of this knowledge and wisdom and information and even a little bit of uh fences and uh colin mcgregor with us as well man i appreciate it thank you welcome to the network thank you man i mean listen i all that you just said i i patently believe